Um, many of you have read chapter one of the story this week. And as we go through God's larger story in scripture, chapter by chapter as a church family using the story, sermons each week will be coming from that reading. So this morning's scripture can be found on pages two and three in the story. The text is Genesis 1.26 through Genesis 2.2. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? A reading from the book of Genesis. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Genesis 1, 26 to 2, 2. The word of God for the people of God. Paula, thank you so much for reading, dear. Uh, one of, I, for me, one of the, the greatest movie lines, there was a scene, and I'm going to tell you the line, and if you're 40 or older, you'll probably remember this. If you're not, if you're younger, I'll tell you about it. But the line was this. It said, he, the, the man said, do you want to eat the blue pill or do you want the red pill? So you remember the movie, The Matrix. If you're too young to know that movie, I would really encourage you to read it. So here's the, here is a, a little bit about the story, if you don't know it. So we have a character named Thomas Anderson, and he knows something's wrong with the world, but he's not quite sure what. And then this mysterious figure appears, and basically Lawrence uh, Fishburne, I believe, uh, played the character of Morpheus. And, and Morpheus uh, draws Thomas Anderson to this, uh, it was a stormy night, it was an a, um, empty, uh, rundown building, and they're in a room on the third or fourth floor. And at that point, he shows them the blue pill and the red pill, and he says, if you take the blue pill, you'll simply wake up, and you'll not remember any of this, and you'll go on with life as you know it now. But if you take the red pill, it's like Alice in Wonderland going down the rabbit hole, and you'll see how far the rabbit hole goes down. The whole point of that scene was to say, there's a larger context. And you've got to know the larger context if you know, if you are to ever know how to invest the number of your days. And that's what we are doing as a church when we 
embrace this idea of the larger story. We're going to walk through the story of the Bible in 31 weeks. It is our intention to help you grasp God's larger story as it unfolds and to begin to understand that as you choose to surrender your life to God, you can have a part in that larger story. Now, this passage this morning is fundamental. Imagine yourself a home builder. What do you do first? You lay footers. And the reason you lay footers is Jesus said, if you build a a house on sand, it doesn't survive. If you build a house on rock, it does. You want to lay something solid. This morning is the solid footer that we'll lay to build the rest of what we'll be doing in the the coming weeks. This passage of Scripture is absolutely essential. Those of you who are on a spiritual journey and you would not call yourselves Christian, I would say this is a fundamental, these truths that we'll talk about this morning are fundamental for you to understand if if you're ever to make sense of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Because the hero of the story is Jesus his person and his work. And if you're, you're going to understand the person and the work of Jesus, you've really got to understand what we're going to talk about this morning. It's a real footer in the, it's in, in the foundation. And so as we look at this passage, there are three key truths that I want you to grasp. First, that God created us in his own image. And there are a lot of implications to that, and we'll talk about a few. Secondly, God created us in his own image to rule for his glory to rule for His glory. In other words, God the Creator has got a purpose for His creature. He's got a purpose for us. And then lastly, created in His own image to rule for His glory with the provision that He makes. God makes provision for that which He creates. He makes provision for us. And so we'll talk it through this morning in that order. So jump in with me if you will. Look at verses 26 and 27. Notice how it starts out. It says this, Then God said, Let us make. Now two important things to see. First, the context of the larger story is you did not evolve from chaos and you're not here by random chance. God created you. It's absolutely essential to see that you're a creature created by God. And if you are created by God, that means he's got fundamental purpose for you. In other words, he's got reason behind his creation. Secondly, notice what it says here. Let us make. The reference us there certainly is plural, a plural pronoun. And the point there is this. It's a veiled reference to the fact that the only true living God is one being in three, in, with three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you're familiar with historic Christianity, it's known as the Trinity. God is one. We're monotheists as Christians. He's one being, but within the Godhead, He's Father, Son, and Spirit. This is why it's vital to know. I've said this from this pulpit many times before, but it's something that you must get at the core of your being if you're to understand who you are. You've got to understand who God is. One being three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. In other words, he has, within his, in, within his very being, been in a loving, selfless relationship from all eternity. In other words, God is relational. One of the authors of the Bible, a guy named John, said God is love. And the reason he said God is love is because there were three persons in love with each other from all eternity. Why is that important? Because 
He was in love for all eternity, and he created you in love to have a love relationship with you. The reason every one of us in this room longs to be loved deeply is because you were made to be loved deeply. It's inescapable. And you know that if you've lost love or you're in tr- you've had troubled love. We were made for a love relationship with the living God because God is love. Because we were made for a love relationship with the living God, God saw that we were alone. Now, we weren't alone in the sense that we didn't have a God. We had a relationship with God, but God saw that we were alone in that we didn't have a peer relationship with another person who was fully our equal. And so God created for the man a woman to have a peer-to-peer love relationship. And that's why in this room, to a person, we long to love another individual and we long to be loved by another individual. Every one of us. Because God made you that way. And that's critical to see. All humanity longs to love and be loved. Created in God's image means we're not animals. We didn't evolve from the animals. We are distinctly different from the animals. We bear the image of God in the way a Labrador retriever doesn't. He's beautiful and he bears the fingerprints of God, but he does not bear the image of God like you. And it's important, so important to see that. Now, the implications of the fact that we bear the image of God. First, we have an identity. It's not an identity that we establish. It's an identity that God has given us as creatures that he's created. And that identity is made in his own image, created male and female. And our identity is either male or females, creatures created to have an intimate relationship with the living God. And so when the enemy attacked humanity, he attacked humanity at the very point of their identity. And do you know what the temptation the enemy put out to the first two human beings was? You can cease to be human beings and you can become like God. It was an offer to be like God. And men and women, every culture throughout all history has been offering to people that you can be like God, including our culture. What does our culture offer us? It offers us God, God-like status. You can be in some control. You can be secure. You can be forever young. And it's the temptation of the enemy to reject the identity that God's given us and try to take on our own identity. We lose our identity when we lose our relationship with the living God. And then what happens is, you guys, when we lose our identity because we lose our relationship with God, we begin to go to all kinds of different places to find our identity. Have you been guilty like I have to go to your workplace to try to find your identity? What happens when your workplace is no longer your workplace? Have you gone to the assets that you've been able to uh, accumulate or even your physical beauty? You know, I just recently turned 60 and I think I've really begun to realize how youthful this culture is. But I'm here to tell you The 80-year-old 
who does not know his name in the nursing home is as valuable to God as the 25-year-old that plays NFL football for millions and millions of dollars. Because God gives us our identity and he gives us our value. We can't establish our own identities. You guys, I received for the first time an email with a signature line at the end. Very appropriate. I happen to, I don't know the person well, but I'm going to meet them. And at the end, after they signed their name, in parentheses, it had she slash her slash hers. And after some conversations with friends of mine, I understood that she was informing me of the pronouns that she wanted me to refer her to her as, indicating to me that in fact, she gets to choose her own identity. Men and women, we don't get to choose our own identity, no matter how hard we try. And quite frankly, we can't change it either. God gives us identity. And when we try to seek it in something that, that's not who we truly are, we always compromise ourselves, always, always. It's always less than God intended. God gives us our identity. In the ancient world, when he talked about being created in God's image, in the ancient world, the rulers of the world would claim that they were created in the image of God. And like Caesar, who would claim to be son of God, would claim that because it was a way that he could maintain his position and his authority. And even in our time, it happens. I had a friend who traveled to Iraq after it, it, it fell, and he was actually in Saddam Hussein's palace. And in the palace there, it had the name Allah, and right under the name Allah, it had Sodom. And all over the palace were the, was the name Allah, for the Muslim God, and then right under that name was Sodom because it was the way Sodom Hussein established his power as if to say he is the only one created in the image of God. Here's the wonder of the Bible. The wonder of the Bible says every person in this room is created in the image of God and every person in this room has the same value. You have the same value no matter how smart you are. No matter how much money you have, no matter how you look, all of us have the same value in God's eyes. He created you in His image, in His likeness. Those two words there are an indication that we're not God, but we're incredibly, incredibly valuable to Him. Listen to how the psalmist says it. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. It's a declaration of how precious we are and the fact that we have an inherent value, an inherent value. Two and three hundred years ago, the whole system of slavery was built on the, 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 uh, the lie that some human beings were of less value than other human beings. And in fact, in the end, that some people were not human beings. They were simply property. And then one life, a man named William Wilberforce stood up in the United Kingdom. And this is what he said as he fought slavery. 
if to be feeling alive to the sufferings, and listen to what he says, of my fellow creatures. He knew that God had created all people and we all bear the image of God. And if to be feeling alive to the sufferings of my fellow creatures is to be a fanatic, I am one of the most incurable fanatics ever permitted to be at large. He fought for the image of God in all people. Men and women, shall we all become fanatics? I was at Tzatziki's last Wednesday night with the discipleship group. And boy, we were doing our Christian thing. We were saying Jesus, singing hymns, acting holy. And a filthy homeless person walked up. What would you do? Just think about it for a second. What would you do? Well, I'm sitting here, this person had walked up, and I'm thinking, well, I'm a pastor. I better do something. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> well, we paused for a moment, and I remembered what Peter and John said to a homeless person on the temple steps in the book of Acts. First, they engaged. And so I said, if y'all will excuse me, why don't you continue on with the meeting? And we walked out and we had a wonderful conversation. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because by the grace of Jesus, I realized that two human beings of equal value were talking to each other. And I mean it's by the grace of Jesus. We are all image bearers with an inherent value given to us by God. And we bear this image to rule for his glory. Look at 26 and 28. Men and women, God's given us a purpose. We're not in a meaningless world. We're not in a meaningless world. We've got purpose. I love that. Look at how it starts out. Look at 28, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. What does that mean? Well, in a number of ways, it is talking about having a family. You guys, my, um, my second son got engaged last night. I cannot tell you how excited I am. I've informed all three of my kids that I want a total of 12 grandchildren between them. I don't care how they divide it up. I could care less, you know. So it is building a family. But those of you in the room who are single, it's not just a family. And oh, by the way, guess what? We're called to be the family of God in this room. We, we're family, all of us. We're brothers and sisters. And so we're called to be fruitful together as the body of Christ with Jesus our head. We're called to be fruitful not only in reproducing children and raising children, but with the idea of productivity and the gift of work. Work is such a gift. Work itself is not a curse. It's a gift of God. And so we take the resources that God has given us and we seek to be very productive with them. And that's what it means to be fruitful and increase in number and to fill the earth. We make beautiful things. And notice this other 
call to rule and subdue right there. And another way to say it is to take dominion. So as image bearers of the living God, we're called to rule the earth. And all that means is we're called to take responsible care over that which we've been given authority. And our authority, men and women, listen carefully, our authority is to, is to be used to bring out the best in everything and everyone that we have authority over. Men, those of you in the room who are married, listen carefully to me. Listen carefully. And if anybody else wants to listen, that's fine too. Listen, men who are married, you have been given authority over your family because you have been given responsibility. When the first two human beings turned away from God and Eve, the woman, ate the fruit first, when God came calling, he came after Adam. You've been given authority because you're called to be responsible. That means, men, those of us in the room who are married need to ask ourselves a question. Are our wives thriving under our headship? And then let's take one insanely courageous step further. Ask your wife. Are you thriving under my leadership? That's what it means to take responsible care. Because when God gives us authority, no matter where it is, the workplace, the home, when God gives you authority over people, it's always to lay down your life to give them life. It's always to lay down your life to give them life. And what does it mean to subdue the earth? What does that mean, to subdue the earth? Well, it means to cultivate the resources of the earth, to make things more and more beautiful, to bring things together, the elements, to bring things together, to create a more wonderful whole, something that's beautiful and really fruitful. I'll never forget when I got married, you guys, beauty, I'm not lying, beauty came into my life for the first time. And this beautiful woman who came into my life had an eye for beauty. And that's when we threw out all my furniture. <laughs> and some, some poor sap got it at Goodwill, you know, and he'll have to throw it out too when he gets married, you know. We're called to make things beautiful. I was sitting in my bedroom yesterday thinking about how beautiful our chest is. I never, I, a chest with drawers and stuff. Oh my gosh, I used to have uh, cinder blocks and planks, boards for Home Depot. They, they were beautiful in their own way. Thank God for beauty. That's what it means to subdue. Listen to Andy Crouch, who wrote a great book. Listen. Because this is what God's calling this church to be. Listen, I wonder what we Christians are known for in the world outside our churches. Are we known as critics, consumers, copiers, condemners of culture? I'm afraid so. Why aren't we known as cultivators, people who tend and nourish what is best in human culture, who do the hard and painstaking work to preserve the best of what people before us have done? Why aren't we known as creators, people who dare to think and do something that's never been thought or done before, something that makes the world more welcoming and thrilling and beautiful? Men and women, 
God is calling us as a church. And one of the reasons we're beginning to understand the larger story and our part in it is so we together as a church can welcome the world. We can be more thrilling together. We can offer the world beauty and spur each other on to do that in our individual lives. That's what it means to subdue the earth. It doesn't mean to exploit the earth to its exhaustion. It means to leave it more fruitful than it was when we first arrived here. And that's possible. That's possible. It takes creativity and for us to drop our dukes and quit fighting each other. And why we're image bearers of God? We're made to rule. We never... We can never do it unless we understand that ultimately it's God's provision. Look at verse 29. And I love this. Look at this. Then God said, I give you. Now, you guys, think about your life for just a minute. Think about your life. How many hours, days, weeks, months, maybe years have you wasted? Have we wasted worrying about provision. Will I be provided for? Will I make enough money? Will my children be okay? Will I find a job? On and on and on we worry. And if you really look at your life, and I've looked at mine occasionally very closely, and realize 99% of the time I'm worrying about things that never happened in the, in the first place. Why does God say not worry? He doesn't say not worry because there's not any stress. He says, don't worry. He says, I've got you. I've got your back. And oh, by the way, I've got your front. Oh, and by the way, I've got your side. And oh, by the way, I'm the rock. And I'm your hope in your future. I've got you surrounded. And I'll never let you go. That's the beauty of God providing. He promises that he will. It's wonderful. And then look at verse 31. God says, it is very good. Why is it very good? Because he's created us in his image for a love relationship with him and each other. He's created us with a purpose to rule. And he provides for us so that we can do all of that to his glory. And this is really very good. And look at verse 1. Everything's complete. It's as if God has created. He really has. He's created a masterpiece. And then look at 2-2. I love this. And God rested. Why did God rest? You know, you guys, I've come to Saturdays are a little bit traumatic around our house, especially when my wife wants to make things beautiful. Because that usually means I'm the labor. And so after she finishes with me, I'm done. I'm absolutely exhausted, and I've got to rest. And I'll tell you, it's beautiful. Can I just tell you something? When God created, when he rested, it wasn't because he was tired. It was because he was completely satisfied, and he was absolutely delighted. He just stepped back and surveyed his creation, and the pinnacle of his creation, humanity. And he was absolutely delighted. And the prophet says this, 
The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. God is delighted in humanity. He's delighted in us. Two days, actually it was yesterday, I was playing golf with my son, my grandson, Nate, Ricky Fowler, Crenshaw, my son-in-law, who I thank God is taking care of my daughter, and a dear, dear friend. And I, I loved it. My son was shooting par golf after seven holes. He was so excited. I was so excited. After seven holes, I was only 21 over. And I was so excited. You know, it's all relative golf. But I was so delighted, not in the golf game, but in the cart riding with these fellow image bearers that I have the privilege to call family. That's the way God delights. He's delighted. What happened? What happened? Well, the enemy attacked the pinnacle of God's creation, humanity. And the temptation for the human being was, hey, you can let go of your identity and you can assume a new one. You can be like God, knowing good and evil. And at that point, when humanity believed that lie, the relationship with God was broken. And let me tell you something clearly, and I want you to hear this so clearly. When we turned away from God, we turned on each other. And that's exactly what the problem is in this culture. When we turn away from God, we turn on each other whether it's your individual relationships at your workplace or at your school or in the world where there's violence. Turn away from God, turn on each other. It's exactly what's happened. We lost our identity as sons and daughters of the living God and we lost our way. And instead of really walking with God, we're now resorted to hiding behind trees. But here's the beauty. And here's what I want you to see. And you'll see this every Every week as we walk through the story together, every part of the Bible ultimately points to the hero of the Bible, the larger story. And that hero is Jesus Christ. How do we see him here? God says, I will give you. God will provide. For humanity at the origin of creation... He provided a wonderful world. When humanity turned away from him, God did not cease to be provider. He just had to pay a higher cost to provide. And that provision was his son, Jesus Christ. He provided his son, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Only Jesus could take the sin that separates us from God our Creator. Only Jesus could take away that sin. And the way He took away the sin was to pay its penalty Himself. When you see the cross, that's what our sins deserve. When you see the cross, 
That's how much Jesus loves us. To be reconciled to God this morning, we must place our faith in Jesus. We must surrender to Him. That's part of the story. When we realize, hey, I'm not the author of the story, but I can have a part, and it's through faith in Christ, God's provision. That's the wonder of the gospel. And what you'll see as we walk through this story together, week in, week out, you will see this story unfold. And the person and the work of the Lord Jesus will become clearer and clearer. He's there in every page of Scripture. But it becomes clearer and clearer until he finally cries out on the cross, it is finished. My work is done. My love is complete. I have saved those you've called me to save. God provides. In the meantime... What happens in this chapter? Well, when the first two human beings turn away from the living God, in chapter 4, guess what the result is? One brother kills another. We move on towards chapter 6, and this is what the Lord says. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. So evil increased. And then finally, God brought a flood on the earth to cleanse the earth of sin and sought to maintain humanity by choosing one family. And yet, even in that one family, the, sin, the seed of sin remained. So by Genesis chapter 11, humanity that had multiplied again. Genesis chapter 11, all humanity had gathered in a plain to build a, 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 a place called Shinar, to build a tower up to the living God to say, we can be like God. And in Genesis chapter 11, what God did is he scattered humanity all over the face of the planet and confused the languages because humanity was in utter and shameless rebellion. And so the question is, what would God do next? What could he do? We'll talk about that next week.